today we get to, uh, the privilege and the pleasure of starting a brand new sermon series. Uh, we do this a couple times uh, as we go. It's a lot of fun for me because it feels like a reset button. Every time we start something new, it feels like a new year for us. And, and um, so we just got through the book of Jude, and this week we start a brand new series called We Are Covenant. And I want to explain a little bit about what that means. What we basically are doing is taking a look at who we are, what are the hallmarks of uh, believers, and then even more specifically, what are the hallmarks of belief in this community, in this body of believers? And so some of these things will be universal, general truths that are good for every single believer, and then a few of those are going to be flavored by, as covenant church, as people uh, with the mission to know Jesus and make him known, here's, here's the way we do it. This is how we go about making uh, Jesus known to all around us. Uh, I think the illustration that would help is, is, I would say it this way, what distinguishes us as followers of Jesus is not only what we believe, but how we live it out. And so we're not talking about the what for the next five weeks. We're actually be talking about the how. How do we go about living out the Christ life together? And so the, the way I would say it is two women head off to work in the morning. Both have very important jobs. So the what is very clear. They're both going to work. One uh, values adrenaline, and so she gets on her Japanese motorcycle without a helmet and takes curves at 80 miles an hour and laughs the whole way there. The other values safety and drives her minivan strategically wrapped in bubble wrap and gets there in her own sweet time. Both people do the same thing. They're both having the same what. I am going to work. What they value determines how they get there. And as believers, we have a really common universal what. But how we go about achieving that, how we go about chasing what God has put us on this earth to do, tells us a lot about who we are and how we're going to live this life. And so that's what we're going to be doing for the next uh, several weeks. Uh, Last year, we sent out a values survey. It's kind of interesting. It wasn't like, what are your family values? It was uh, a single question with a blank at the end that basically said, when you think of covenant, what's the word that comes to mind? And what we're aiming for is kind of, what are our values as a a church community? What are our values as a, a people? And the responses came back, hundreds of responses, all kinds of various things. And we began to sort them in categories. So someone would say, well, I love that we're generous. And someone would say, I love that we're like a giving church. And I'd be like, well, those are the same. And so those go in this category. And all these different responses came in. We kind of just lined them all up. And I think essentially they fell into five big buckets. And so that's what we're going to be talking about for the next five weeks. We, uh, this week, we are missional. That's how we're going to start. But then in the weeks to come, we are welcoming, we are authentic, we are generous, and we are servant-minded. And those five things together kind of all smashed up and and stirred into the soup make us who we are in the way that we live out what God has called us to do. So that's how we become covenant. These are the hallmarks of life for the believer. It doesn't mean we don't value other things, but these are the things that rise to the top. I value uh, physical fitness, and I also value ice cream. One of those things wins, and you see me every week up here, and so you will know when the balance shifts from physical fitness to ice cream. And that's the same thing, as silly as it is, it's the same thing that's true for a believer. People can see what you value. And so if I valued ice cream, I mean, I like ice cream more than I like physical fitness, but I value living past 50 more than, you know, so it's like a whole tug of war. But people can see it in our own lives. When we value um, our own personal time more than we value serving them, it's evident. And it's on display for all to see. And so as we walk through life, we think that the things we really value are kind of personal and they're intrinsic and they're held and no one really has to know. But the reality is the same as the waistline of these people like myself who value ice cream is you will know when that value gets out of whack. There's a lot of meanings of the word we're starting with today. We are missional. Missional has all these different meanings. What we're going to say uh, that it means, we're going to choose one and live by that. Um, Missional means we choose to live with everything tied to a larger mission. Nothing more than that. 
To be missional is to, to choose to live with everything tied to a larger mission. Ours here is to know Jesus and make him known. That's our very clear mission. And so to be a missional people, we would be tied to that at every turn. So we talk about the father-daughter dance. And we go, well, is that, what is that? Is that just a good idea because you want to have a good time with your daughters? And you're like, well, yeah, but we wouldn't do it for that. If you were a fly on the wall as we went through all of our meetings, putting this together and the staff time that goes into organizing an event with hundreds of people showing up with, we got to get a crane thing into the gym to put up a thousand balloon drop and then the DJs come, we got to make sure we got that covered and there's food and there's drinks and there's volunteers and there's ticketing and there's follow-up and how do we do it all? We spend so much more time as a staff talking about the guest experience and following up well with a guest than we ever talk about making sure that the Christian dad has a great time with his daughter. The Christian dad's going to have a great time with his daughter. But the point of the event for us is to be missional, is to, in some small way, as we know Jesus, to offer to make him known to those around us so that they might show up here and go, wow, that church was a real blessing to me. So then when we have their email that's on the back of that ticket, when we're not spamming them, we send them an email just before Easter that goes, hey, if you're going to church anyway, we'd love to have you. Which isn't to say we want you to come here because we think we're the best. It is to say that we know you're going to hear the gospel clearly and we're going to make sure that all those guests get invited back to hear the gospel. And if they don't come for that, the next email they'll get won't be until Fam Jam, which is in the summer. And we're going to go, hey, you want to come to a free family event and have a rock wall and some food trucks and just have fun? We'd love to have you. And they come back and they go, gosh, this church doesn't require anything of me. They just bless me. And on and on and on we go until eventually our hope and our desires is we're intentional and we keep that drip going of missionally reaching out to people that they will come to know Christ as the Holy Spirit moves. So we don't just put on a dance for fun. We put on a dance because it's missional. It's on purpose. The elders sit around and uh, contrary to whatever popular belief might be about elders, I don't know what people think elders do. I don't know what I used to think elders do, but I'll tell you what your elders do. The elders of this church sit around and basically, if you boiled it all down, try to figure out how to use every penny and every square foot that God has given us to see the mission made whole. And so the conversations are not about what color the wall should be or whether the carpet needs to be replaced. The conversation is how do we leverage everything God has given us to make sure that we get as many people to know Jesus as possible. We are fanatically intentional around here sort of a sub-value under missional, in order to be really missional, you have to be fanatically intentional that everything is done on purpose. And I will tell you, this is not normal in church. This is not normal in church. That most churches are doing a lot of good things, and when they get a good idea, they just do it and see what happens. And before you know it, you go to one of those restaurants that has, uh, it's like the buffet place, and you're like, I don't know if I trust the same place that's making me shrimp cocktail and the chicken fried steak thing, and sushi, and the same guys back there doing it all. You're like, I don't think I should eat that sushi because I'm not totally sure they know what they're doing because they just kind of do whatever, and it just doesn't have a thing. And that's what most churches are like. I I had lunch with a a prominent pastor in this area last week, and he was lamenting that they were really stalled out in a couple areas. And, And I said, what do you think it is? And to his credit, he knows exactly what's wrong. He said, we don't have a mission. We don't have anything larger to point to, and so we just keep doing good stuff and good stuff and good stuff. And the, the look on his face is like he was eating buffet-style sushi. It just wasn't real pleasant because they couldn't get everybody. They got hundreds of people. They couldn't get them on the same path, going the same direction with the same energy. And as a result, everybody's scattering different directions, and their, their mission is not moving forward because they don't have one. But this is really common. And so around here, I'm really grateful that we are a fanatically intentional place. We say no to a lot of good things. I get probably mm, four or five, six emails a month of people with really good ideas of things we should do. 
And I send out probably four, five, six emails a month of things we won't do. Because they're not critical to who we are and what we're, because if we do that, then we can't do this. And if we can't do this, then we're not going to accomplish that. And so what are we going to do? Not that. We say no to things so we can give energy to missional things. We wrestle good ideas to the ground and we pin them and we try to see if there's something missional in them. And if not, we get rid of them. I would say it this way. The hallmark of a healthy church is not that it does more of everything, but that everything it does is on mission. We long to be a healthy church. We don't long to be a big church. We don't long to be an influential church. Those things would be great. Who cares? We long to be a healthy church that is known for nothing less than living on purpose with every moment of our day. And a value like this runs like a thread in everything we do. Today is Nick Gillespie's first Sunday as an official staff member. So you can clap for him. Clap for him. He's right. Come on. Yes. Yes. One thing I've learned, everybody really loves when you clap for them. I've never seen somebody not make the face that goes, oh gosh, here they go. Um, Nick is going to be around, since he's on staff now officially, this means that when uh, you're done with us today, you can go over to him and ask him anything you want, and he has to have the answer. So I would invite you to just go and sit with him as long as you like. Um, why, is, why do we have a new full-time staff member? Why do we have a new community life pastor? Because we value community groups. Why do we value community groups? Because they are the vehicle for our missional activity in our community. That when we gather together and we share life, when we know Jesus together and we turn around and we we commit ourselves to blessing the world around us, when we gather, we share, we bless, that's our mission being lived out in the world. And so when people bless the pregnancy center and when people bless Grace Place, when people bless BG Christian and the families that are associated, when we start having this downline domino effect of blessing that happens through community groups, what we see is lives are transformed. It's missional. And so we put our money where our mouth is. We put our resources where our mouth is. And we go, we are going to commit ourselves above all things to be missional. Where is this value rooted I think it's important to note none of these things are just good ideas or we didn't read it in a self-help book and say, oh, we should do that in the church. All of this stuff is purely scriptural stuff that we've then applied outwards. There's nothing new here. John 17, this is where this is all rooted. We are missional because in John 17, verse 9, Jesus is praying and he says, I'm praying for them, his followers. And if you didn't know this, that is us by extension. He says, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I'm glorified in them. He's speaking, you know, praying to the Father. And he says, I am no longer in the world, but they, my followers, are in the world. I'm coming to you. So Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that, you, that they may be one even as we are one. Give them unity, Jesus is saying. Give my followers unity. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I've guarded them. Not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. The scripture might be fulfilled. That's another sermon another day. Verse 13. But now I'm coming to you. And uh, I'm coming to you, these things that I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. So he's saying, don't get them out of this place that you've called us, but that you keep them from the evil one while they're here. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So verse 17, he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And verse 18 is our key this morning. Jesus says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Jesus is praying and he says, as you sent me, I'm sending them. Who? My followers. Those who call themselves followers of me, those who believe in me as the Messiah, I'm sending them into the world the same way you sent me, which if we think about it and we start to really consider what that means, that is mind-blowing. 
That we don't get to walk in the wake of Jesus, we walk in the way of Jesus. That, that we don't get to do a different thing. Jesus says he's called us to do the same thing. To take up our cross and live for others, to sacrifice and give, to be people about other people. Verse 11 ties all the way through to verse 17, this idea of unity. Father, make them one as we are one. This unity prayer is actually leading towards this missional thing. That how are they going to be one, Lord? And then you connect 11 to 17, and what you see is he goes, I pray that they would be unified, that they would be one, that they'd be one like we are one. And how are they going to do that? Well, they're going to do that on mission. The same way you sent me and we're still one, I'm sending them and we'll be one that way. There'll be a, a whole unit together on same mission going the same direction. The word therefore sent is a Greek word that we get uh, apostle from, that we later in Latin became missio. Apostle meaning sent one, missio is where we get mission or missionary. Basically, it means they're sent out for a purpose. They're sent out on mission. And so when he literally, when he says, I sent them into the world, he's, he's saying, I've sent my followers out on mission. We are the sent ones. We are sent on mission. More accurately, accurately, we are our one body and we've been sent together, unified on mission. Christian culture has gotten some of this wrong in recent, uh, I would say, centuries probably. So we're one body sent together, but Christian culture has said for the last few hundred years that the real heroes are the missionaries. That we've separated them out wrongly, in my opinion. We've separated out missionaries as people who go far away and do cool things for Jesus. And there's roots in that that make sense. There's roots in this idea of missionary in the apostle who in the early days when Christianity was a little geographic node, they would send apostles out to go and take the word and take the goodness of Christ and the grace of Jesus and the word of the Messiah, and they would take them out to other areas. And that's great. And they were apostles in the early days. They were on mission outwards. But the reality is that's not the only way to do it. It's not the only way that missionaries function. Here's the thing. Missionaries are not only sent out, they're sometimes sent in. And you and I, as people who don't often think of ourselves as missionaries, need to start reconsidering what that word really means. As someone who spent two years as a missionary in South Africa, I will tell you there is a problem with the way we use that word. What we've done as a culture is we've done what we do with everything. Is One, we create like little pseudo-celebrity out of thin air. That we, we um, take somebody who's going to do something, we make them more than they really are. Ooh, isn't that person holy? Wow, this is great. Uh, over the years, I've had all these people that have come to me and said, you are a missionary, tell me what I need to know. And I, I'm kind of like, well, I got good news and I got bad news. And they're like, what is that? I was like, well, the good news is, apparently you're going to go some faraway place and see cool things. They're like, what's the bad news? It's like, well, you're going to be the same person, so it's going to go just the way it's gone for you. And they're like, very inspiring. So one, we've created little celebrities. Missionaries are these cool people who do cool things. Wish we could be like them. The second thing we've done that's not, uh, it's not necessarily biblical here is we've delegated our responsibility to others to be missionaries. And so we've said that they, those are the people that go out. A lot of churches do that. Well, we pay the pastor so he does the work of ministry. That's not for us. That's for him. That's why we pay him. And that has nothing to do with the way the Bible set up the church. That we do things together, that we are on mission together, that we minister together, and there will be people, the elders among you, who might lead you and help you keep the faith and help you find direction and make sure that we're all equipped and make sure that we're all trained up and make sure that we're all motivated. But none of that says that it absolves any of us to delegate our role as missionaries in the world to someone else. But that's what the church has done. Ooh, house churches in China, that looks dangerous. Uh, Send Kyle, he's young. Africa, ooh. Quality of life doesn't look so good there. Why don't you go? And that's not 
what the Bible says to do. It's not the way the whole system was set up. The other danger here is in lionizing the tales of those who've gone before us, in lionizing those who've, um, you know, walked across Africa. And we tell these great stories of great men and women who've gone and done amazing things on behalf of Christ. And the things that are happening in Asia and the things that happen in Africa. And imagine these unreached people in Peru that have now heard of Jesus and have come to faith. Those are good things. But here's the deal. In lionizing those tales, what we've done is diminish regular Christians. Because there is no such thing as regular Christians. That every single Christian is called to be a missionary. Every single Christian, according to Jesus' prayer, is a sent one. We are all followers of Christ. And as followers of Christ, we are then sent out to be missionaries. Some of us are sent out, but most of us are sent in. Right in the culture you were designed to fit in. Before I went to South Africa, I had a a pastor pull me aside and he goes, look, you're going a long way to do a great thing and I'm really glad for you, but never forget that God planted you in America and you'll never have more influence than you will in America. And so you can go out as long as you like, but he says, I don't want to ruin what you're going to do, but I promise you when, when you start feeling like maybe that's not your context, there's a reason for that because you were born here and you'll never have more influence than the place of your original culture. That I can send any of you anywhere in the world and you can have some influence and you have novelty for a season and when the novelty wears off, then you're just an outsider who doesn't understand the people. Where God has planted you is where you have the greatest influence. You are a missionary sent to right where you are. And don't misunderstand me. There's nothing wrong with missionaries who go far out. I was called to South Africa for about a thousand reasons that are very apparent to me now. But the reality was I didn't understand that I wasn't a missionary to South Africa. I was a missionary who happened to move to South Africa. And that's a really big difference. That based, your geography does not determine your identity. Your geography doesn't determine your identity. Your identity is you are a missionary. Your geography just happens to be where you're living that out. Does this make sense? The other truth is it's way harder to be sent in than out. If you imagine trying to uh, spread the gospel in hospitals in South Africa where people are dying of AIDS and breathing their last breath and they're desperate for some hope or some truth or some, um, some promise of salvation beyond their current misery, that's an easy place to share the gospel relative to going into the Fortune 500 oil company that I worked at when I got back where people making comfortable six-figure salaries looked at me and said, come on, bro, just get to work. No one's job is to be a missionary. Instead, everyone is a missionary no matter their job. It's an unavoidable calling. Jesus talks about believers sent as he was sent to ransom sinners, free the oppressed, break chains of injustice. Jesus made very clear what he was here to do. And he says, the same thing as I was here to do, you are here to do. And so the moment you chose to follow Jesus, you became a missionary. From the moment you place your faith in, in Jesus to save you, the moment the Holy Spirit dwells within you, you are on mission. Jesus didn't pray that some would go and share the good news while others work nine to five jobs and enjoy leisure activities while financing the work of those who shared the faith. It's not how it works. Jesus said, I'm sending you. We are on mission together, each of us a missionary to our specific slice and specific context. The Geralds are a relatively new family in the covenant context in our community. Sophia owns the Black Swamp Fine Arts Studio where a couple hundred local families They dance and they take art classes and piano and violin. And it's just this really cool place where kids are being taught all kinds of neat stuff. But her first identity is not as owner and director of a fine art studio. Her first identity is missionary to the families of the fine art studio. And her husband who helps her with that, he isn't just a worker at Rudolph Libby. He's a missionary to Rudolph Libby. 
And every day he shows up to Rudolph Libby, his job is not just to go there. His job is not to just go to the job site or the cubicle or wherever he is for the day to work on whatever the next project is. His job is to go and share the light of Christ everyone he meets in every little way and big way he can think of. He's a missionary. And the two of them together aren't just missionaries to their workplaces. They live on Church Street. Now you know. And they are missionaries to Church Street. And so their job is to go and take the gospel to Church Street. And so everywhere we exist, every tiny little micro context of our lives is where we are called to be missionaries. You aren't ever off mission. For the follower of Jesus, life is your mission trip and your mission field is right where you are. For the follower of Jesus, life is your mission field and your mission, my life is your mission trip and your mission field is right where you are. And so if you go to Kroger after this to buy your avocados to make your Super Bowl guacamole, and you were standing at the avocado bin, which is extra large this week because a lot of people like guacamole, and you pick up your avocado and you're smelling it, and you don't know how to pick a good avocado because you only do it once a year, and you're squeezing it and you're listening to it. Is it supposed to shake? I don't know. And this, someone else walks up and they're doing it with you. And so the two of you are together shaking avocados, and he looks at you and he goes, I don't know how to pick a good avocado, do you? And your answer to him is probably not going to be, do you want to hear about my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? I'm on mission right now. That's not it. Don't do that. Or do that, but then don't be offended when he walks away strangely and decides to not have avocados this year. But at Kroger, you're on mission. It's a thing. Everywhere you go, everything you run into, every circumstance, every scenario is an opportunity ordained by God for you to have an impact on someone. Get in a fender bender. Someone's sliding around the ice, they hit you. Ruin your day, inconvenience, everything's terrible. You both get out. I'm so sorry. You say, do you have insurance? He goes, well, it's a long story. You go, you know, the ultimate insurance is the blood of Jesus Christ. And he says, I don't know what you're talking about. And you go, I know you don't. Let me share with you. Come sit in my car. I have a few Bibles ready. Like, that's not how that works. But when you get an offender bender, you have an opportunity to exhibit grace to somebody to begin to live out a lifestyle that is different than what they might expect, to live out a countercultural, extraordinary existence that is rooted in something greater than what the world expects. Every single thing we do is an opportunity to evidence our life. We are missional people. How did we get this mission? So we put it up on the wall, but it doesn't live on the wall. It lives in our hands and our hearts, and we go, and this is what we do to know Jesus and make him known. So some people go, well, that's great, missional, I get it, but why that mission? Why not another mission? Let's read from John 17. John 17, we keep reading, same prayer, verse 24. Jesus says, Father, I want those you gave me to be with me right where I am so they can see my glory, the splendor you gave me, having loved me long before there was ever a world. Righteous Father, the world has never known you, but I have known you. And these disciples know that you sent me on this mission. I have made your very being known to them, who you are and what you do, and continue to make it known so that your love for me might be in them exactly as I am in them. Jesus, praying this great unity prayer, praying to send us out on mission, his prayer to God is that we might, as followers of Christ, as we know Jesus, the way that he knows the Father, we might turn around and make that love known to others so that they might experience the security of salvation that we know, the beauty of relationship and wholeness with our creator that we know. 
So to know Jesus and make him known is not a clever saying that we came up with. To know Jesus and make him known is directly ripped from the pages of Jesus' own words where he says, this is why we exist, because you have known me and you've allowed me to know you. I can do nothing less than make you known to all I come in contact with. Jesus is saying, Lord, I know you and I want to make you known. Lord, you're amazing and I can't imagine running into somebody and not telling them about you. And we have a little progression there to know Jesus and make him known. There's a progression. It's a two-step process. That and creates a little two-step happening. Because you can't introduce somebody to someone you don't know. And so the first thing upon us, we have to know Jesus. We have to root ourselves in Jesus. We have to be walking with Jesus every single day. We have to know Jesus. And so we're all about that. So when we have a community group and we gather, we share, we bless, it isn't we bless, bless, and bless. We gather together as believers and we encourage each other and we share the word, we pray together. We want to know Jesus together so that when we turn around and we say it's our turn to go and bless the world, we're doing it out of a well of grace and not out of a well of like self-righteousness. It's bigger than that. I fundamentally believe that if someone truly knows Jesus, they will not be able to help themselves but to share him and make him known to others. It's an introduction our realtor in San Antonio, her name was Jen Bowman. We were one of our first clients. We're really proud to be one of our first clients, and she was incredible. And we loved her so much that we told everyone we knew about her. And Steph put things on Facebook about her. We just loved Jen Bowman. And people would say, who was your realtor? We'd be like, don't even talk to me. Come here. Let me show you. I got a whole portfolio. I'd like to show you all about her. We just, we love her. She was great. Everything about her was great, and we couldn't help ourselves. She made our lives better, and we wanted everyone to know her so she could make their lives better. I'll introduce you. Over and over, I would say that, let me introduce you. If you go to church with us, I'll, I'll, let me connect you after service. If, if you, oh, you're, I met you at the grocery store while shaking avocados, well, I'll, yeah, let me give you your email. We'll do, we'll do it that way. But like I said, the thing about introductions is you have to know someone before you can introduce them to someone else. So know Jesus. We do this all the time. We make these introductions. I made one this week to my tax guy. I made one last week to my doctor. He's fantastic. She's incredible. You need to go see our doctor. They're a great doctor. You're going to want to see her. I'm an ebook evangelist. If you know me, you know that I read on a Kindle. I cannot help myself. I love my Kindle. My Kindle goes with me everywhere because it's in my phone, it's in my computer, it's in my actual Kindle device. It's on everything. So if I'm in the line at Kroger, instead of being missional, sometimes I'm not being missional because I'm reading because I got a line to wait for, and so I'm going to read three more pages of this book that I really like. But I love the Kindle, and I evangelize the Kindle all over the place because as a pastor, I read a lot of stuff, and I have a lot of notes in it, and I need to go back for it, and it keeps hundreds of books in one little library right in my pocket. And so if I read this story about blueberries, and I really need this illustration about blueberries next week, I don't have to go look at my wall of books and go, I wonder which book the blueberry story was in. I go to my computer, and I type in blueberry with two fingers because I'm not very smart, and then it just comes up, and it's like, here's the story about blueberries, you genius, and I just pull it right out of the book. I love the Kindle. If you give me a book that is not on Kindle, I will read that book. I will read it much more slowly because I don't have it in my pocket all the time. I love the Kindle. (laughs) My life is better because of the Kindle. And so I tell everyone about why they should read on a Kindle. And people go, I like the smell of books or I like the way the pages smell or I like the feeling, the tactileness. And I'm like, that's all nonsense. (laughs) Buy yourself a book-scented air freshener and read it on the Kindle. (laughs) It's cheaper. The Roomba. Why don't you have a Roomba? You have a vacuum cleaner. The Roomba is the same price and you don't push it. It works when you're not home. 
It goes under your furniture. Do you go under your furniture? No, you don't go under your furniture. The Roomba will. Same price. Vanilla bean ice cream. Who are you people that are buying like traditional old-fashioned churned ice cream? Home-style vanilla? Are you kidding? Vanilla bean. If you want to fight afterwards, I will fight you over vanilla bean ice cream. There's no other vanilla. Any other vanilla is not real. We will fight. I got lots of opinions. How much time do we have? Okay. Why am I telling you all of these ridiculous things? We are hardwired to share goodness. It is why social media works the way it does. We are hardwired. We want nothing more than to share the good things of our life. The things not only are great vacations because we want others to have great vacations, but family memories and products we like and things we heard and a song that spoke to us and inspiration. We are hardwired to share goodness. It is in us, deeply woven by the Creator. And so at Covenant, we know that it's more than simple goodness that we're designed to share. We were created to share good news. That the Roomba is not going to actually change your life. It is not going to see you set free from your sin. It is not going to break the bond of, of all the things that have enslaved you. It's not going to heal a broken heart. It's not going to do any of that stuff. It's going to vacuum under your couch. But Jesus, that's a real thing. There's something better about that. We're not introducing people to a better way of living. Jesus didn't come to make life better, but to make life new. We say it all the time. Jesus didn't come to make life better. He came to make life new. And so we are selling good news, new life for everyone we come in contact with. Our lives are transformed because we know him. And because we know him, we can think of nothing less to do with our lives than to make him known to others. Everybody I meet does not need a new doctor or a new accountant or a new way to read books. What they do need, every single person I know needs Jesus. So our mission is to be sent ones with every relationship in our life screaming, I know Jesus and I know his love and I know his goodness and I know you and I know you would need it and you'd know love if you knew him. And that's our life. You would know love, you would know hope, you might know security, you would know peace, you would know joy. If you knew Jesus, you would know true life. A guy by the name of Nat Player was a high school teacher when I was in high school. He didn't teach at my high school. He also led Young Life. So he was a high school teacher who led Young Life. He would say he was a missionary to high school kids in the town he grew up in. Not very exciting. But he had unbelievable impact on so many young lives, mine chief among them. I knew what life without Jesus was like, and I knew that it led to death. That's all I knew, because that's all I'd ever experienced. But Nat was on mission, and every day I saw him, he was on mission. And every relational impact we had was just driving me ever so much closer towards something greater than what I was living for. Every conversation we had would end with this pregnant pause of, is that all there is? Are you sure, Kyle? And eventually, through his relationship with me, through his being on mission with me and giving his life to something greater than himself, because he could have done anything he wanted, by being a missionary to kids like me, I found Jesus. But I didn't find Jesus except that Nat found me, because he knew Jesus and he could think of nothing better to do with his life than to make him known to someone like me. And now I know a life that leads to greater life and true life. And you and I are a church, a people, a body of believers that have been sent out on mission to spread that life. You and I have been called not only to know Jesus, to lean in and know him better, but to make him known, to introduce this Jesus that we know so that others might know his saving grace. So we, unapologetically, are covenant church, and unapologetically, we are missional.